0: We're continuing today on a series that we just started last week, a short series uh, entitled Big Objections. And as Nigel did last week, I just want to acknowledge that we've had some good help and good shaping of the content of what we want to bring um, from the church at Eastbourne, King's Church, some sermons by Andrew Wilson and, and Graham Marsh. It just really helped to shape the content. We just want to acknowledge and honour those, um, but obviously making it our own and really just wanting to, to use this. The thing is that whenever surveys are done of the big questions, the big objectives that, uh, objections that people have about the Christian faith, one of the objections that, that comes out uh, many, many times that people have to God and to church is this. Why are Christians so hypocritical and judgmental? Why are Christians so hypocritical and judgmental. So I think I need to pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, just thank you for the wonderful sense of your presence with us right throughout this whole day. Lord, we thank you that you're touching lives, that you're meeting with us right where we are. And we want to thank you that that's a sign of your grace, that you're a God of grace. And we just pray, Lord, for your grace to rest upon us as we consider these challenging subjects. Lord, Would you lead us, guide us, speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to acknowledge straight away that at times, people's treatment by the church has been appalling. As a child and as a teenager, I went to a couple of different churches where at times the treatment of people was really terrible, actually. Different kinds of people for different reasons, but it was really, really bad. Uh, I don't often think back to those days, because I genuinely have some quite bad memories of some of the things that went on, but obviously looking at a subject like this, I was reflecting a little bit on some of the things, and I came in my mind, just one funny story, I was uh, in the youth group, I was young once, Um, I know you probably can't believe it, but I was in something called the YPF. I don't know if anybody's old enough. I can see John Coe smiling at the back there. Anybody who was in the YPF? Come on, hands up who was in the YPF, yeah. Young People's Fellowship is what it was, okay? But it was a good group. We Did many of the things that the guys do today. We were growing. People were bringing their friends. And the youth leader announced that there was a special talk coming the following week. all needed to be there, so dutifully we all turned up. And uh, the youth leader did an hours-long talk all about why girls should not wear jeans. That was the talk. and Particularly, it was about wearing jeans in church. Um, And the fact was, they were not allowed to wear jeans in church. So basically, girls, if you're wearing jeans this morning, you can't come to church, so could you start leaving? No. (laughs) That would probably be about half the congregation. We laugh now. But in many ways that was mild to compared to some of the things that I saw and heard happen to people. May have happened to you. It's heartbreaking. It's awful. Creates very, very real, legitimate reasons for maybe some of you sitting here today, or for friends, colleagues that you have, to say, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. I'm not interested in it probably likely that some of you sitting here today have been really hurt by church or if not you know those who have whether it be another church or this church it's no good me putting my head in the sand and and saying well Gateway's not like that it's not that kind of church because i'm sure that it will have been for some maybe even recently and if not recently then possibly next week or next month Not because I want that to happen, but I recognize people get really hurt sometimes because of the result of the speech and the actions of Christians. And I understand that creates a massive objection to Christianity. Maybe for you here, maybe you're saying, I'm just about to walk away from this. I'm not sure I can take much more of this. Some of you may know that feeling. What comes out in the wider news may also fuel those objections, whether it be paedophile priests, whether it be money stolen or misused by church leaders, preachers advocating marriage and the value of family life and yet falling in adultery or major sexual sin. I understand, I really do. It's painful, it's hypocritical, it's bad news. Really is bad news all the way around. Because it may have been very personal. To you, things that may have been said or done. Confidence is broken, gossip shared. You may have been rejected. There may have been ignorance as to your situation. You may even have had so-called Christian friends begin to treat you like you didn't even exist. I genuinely want to say if I have ever been part of that. This church that I represent. I can't repent or apologize on behalf of others. But I want to say if I've been part of that or... Uh, Immediately in this church, I genuinely ask your forgiveness for that. I know for myself, I, I personally find it very hard when Christians put posters or articles on social media making very blunt declarations about certain moral or ethical positions. I want to say to you, there is a place for debate and discussion, of course, but I believe we need to think very long and hard before we post some of these things. I say that because just this last weekend, I saw something very particular. It was over the Mothering Sunday weekend. In fact, it was related. Uh, One of my friends uh, on Facebook posted one of these poster-type things. Please don't go searching or thinking it wasn't someone from this church or even this town. Um, But they posted it. It was related to Mother's Day. It was also related to the termination of pregnancy to abortion. And it shocked me deeply. I removed it from my feed immediately because it was wrong. I was not shocked by being confronted by the issue. I know it's important to God um, and I know it mustn't be dismissed. I'm committed to the care and love of those who are going through massive decision processes in my role as a trustee of our local a Swindon Pregnancy Choices organization. What I was shocked by was the sense of condemnation, the lack of love, compassion, mercy, and grace in the way it was worded. I genuinely actually I only know the person a tiny bit. I'm not even sure they realized quite what they were posting or quite how it read, but it was utterly, utterly wrong. Of course, the other objection that comes with this sometimes is in that area of welcome and acceptance. If the church is meant to be a place where all can be welcomed in, why do its actions mean that some people cannot access it for fear of how they will be perceived within the church? I think it was uh, Philip Yancey's famous little story about he and some of the members of his church in America were trying to reach out to women who were working on the street, to some prostitutes, they came across one particular lady who had many problems. And he said to her, Have you ever thought about going to church? To which she replied, Why on earth would I go to church? I feel bad enough about myself already. See, it's not so much the idea of God that people object to, it's the Christians they have a problem with. Even Gandhi, I don't reject your Christ, he said. In fact, I love your Christ. It's just that so many of your Christians are unlike your Christ. The Christian message, which is called the gospel, which means good news, just doesn't seem to be good news when so many, to so many people it seems that they are hypocrites, frauds and cheats who are saying one thing but living a totally different way. So for a lot of people, the basic assumption is that all Christians are probably hypocrites. Now, I'm not here to uh, offend or alienate the entire congregation, but to say that all Christians are hypocrites is probably true, some of the time. Speak for myself. Very often, possibly even daily, I will pretend to be something that I'm not quite, not, not quite. I don't think that that's necessarily untrue. But I do think we need to just stop for a moment and make sure we know what a hypocrite actually is. The word hypocrite comes from the theatre in the ancient world, the ancient Greek theatre. It literally means mask wearer. Someone would be on stage, they would wear a mask... And everybody would know it wasn't the real them. It was a character, a persona that they were portraying. I don't know the the fine detail of the Greek word, but everyone would know that they were a hypocrite, something, something like that. That's how the word would come out. Now, in Jesus' time, everyone would have known that word. It was a standard word being used. Jesus, however, gets hold of it, and he changes the whole meaning, the whole dynamic of it. He took hold of it and started to use it especially when talking about the religious people, the religious leaders, the so-called Pharisees and scribes. Why did he do that? Because Jesus hated mask-wearing fakes. Let's look at a couple of examples. Now you need to take a deep breath because Jesus was quite strong. Okay. The first one is fairly gentle, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, excuse me, can I just let, let me take that speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I did say that was the gentle one, so we need to now listen to another one from the same book. Matthew, this time chapter 23. I'm going to read from the message version because it gives it even more emphasis. Matthew 23. I've had it with you, you hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees. Frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter and you won't let anyone else enter either. A couple of verses on, uh, 25. You're hopeless, you religion scholars, Pharisees, frauds. You burnish the surface of your cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun, but while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisee. Scour the insides, and then the gleaming surface will mean something. Um, Jesus knew how to win friends and influence people. 27, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you are total frauds. Jesus took this word from the Greek theater. He turned it upside down, it was never the same again. In fact, it's still used in that way today in our society. Now, imagine, imagine how appalling, how frustrating that the very thing that Jesus hated is the very thing that is actually associated with the group of people today who carry his name. How tragic is that? That the very thing that he hated, the hypocrisy, is now so often used of the church he came to bring to birth. Of the Christians, the Christ ones, his followers. So I understand. I understand that fake Christianity, phony Christians who engage in the same behavior that they condemn others for or hold people to higher standards than they hold themselves. I understand you would not want to listen to that person. Therefore, you would not want to listen to their gods. It's hypocrisy. But let's also say what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not when someone fails your expectations of perfection. When someone falls short of the standard you think they should meet. See, hypocrisy is not actually about catching out a Christian and going, Ha, ah, you're a hypocrite. A Christian making a mistake is not a hypocrite. They're making a mistake. Hypocrisy is a preacher like myself standing on a stage condemning, say, homosexual relationships from the pulpit and then two days later it gets revealed that they're found in bed with their gay lover. That's hypocrisy. A Christian making a mistake is a mistake. Now, I've got quite a lot of family who live to the east of here. It's great to um, welcome Andy and Jackie back among us to see them, including my first uh, grandchild. And so we spend a lot of our time going down the M4 and the M25 round London and so on. I say going, actually we do quite a lot of stopping. That's the reality. But one of the things that really challenges me is, you know, inevitably down the M4 as you get towards the, um, you know, Heathrow or whatever, or onto the M25, you get the lanes, don't you? And you're in a lane and suddenly all the lanes are coming to a grinding halt. You know that situation? The thing is, though, the lane next to you is going faster, isn't it? You know that one? And uh, you think, I need to swap lanes, but I'm going to be mature. I know I'm not supposed, I'll be patient. I'm not supposed to swap lanes, it's dangerous. And so you're sitting there trying to be patient, and then you see other people starting to swap lanes. Yeah, And I think to myself, I deserve to be moved. They're all moving. Look, 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 I've been watching that white van, and look how far it's gone down there. (laughs) I deserve to be moving as fast as that white van, particularly as he cut me up earlier on. I want to be going as fast as him. I want to see my grandson, my dad, whatever, my family. Come on, I'm going to swap lanes. The thing is, as soon as you swap lanes, what happens? You get into another lane, and the lane you swapped into stops. comes to a grinding halt, and you go, oh, what? And then the man in front of you, in the car, because everything's stopped, decides to put his head down and do something with his phone or whatever he's doing. And then, shock horror, there's a gap that starts to appear in front of him. Okay? And you're going, come on. And his head's down. And then the worst thing of all, somebody from another lane comes in and goes in front of him in that gap that was my gap to get moving. I get so wound up with that. Which point, in my first, the first meeting, my wife was just my wife was just laughing away to herself and announced to everyone that I needed prayer. But, um, the, re- <laughs> the reality is that I was just saying with --I love Jackie dearly, but I know that I get cross or wound up about something usually quite small, and then I express my anger or my frustration to her in, in a way that's not honoring of God. Other times there will be jealousies and insecurities that come out in me when I see other people getting recognition or advance in some way. Maybe they've been asked to do something or go somewhere, and I've not been asked, and things will rise up inside of me. Sometimes I will have to battle with sexual desires within me, like many of you, even on a daily basis. Sometimes I'm apathetic in my relationship with God. Now you might say, but Mark, you're one of the pastors of the church. You're paid to have a relationship with God. <laughs> but the reality is it's no different for me. I have to work at it just as much. And Sometimes I drift and sometimes I waste time that I've been given. Another thing I need to work hard at a lot, particularly because I have bits that drop off all the time, is physical exercise. And you say, well, why? Well, because if you look at me sideways on, I like food a lot, okay? I also like red wine in moderation. And I've never been one much for dieting. See, the reality is that I've pretty much just listed right there all of the seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, wrath, lust, laziness, gluttony, and greed. Those are just some of the things, if you were to sit down with Jackie and have a little chat with her, she would tell you a whole bunch more of things (laughs) that I fall short constantly of what is perceived as an expected standard. The question is this, does that make me a hypocrite? Well, if being a Christian, a Christ follower, means that I have to be perfect, then yes, I'm a hypocrite. However, I don't think that is the case. You see, what's the opposite of a hypocrite? The opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. It is being real. It's being authentic, open. It's being genuine. Honest transparency, openness, not controlling my appearance. It's living without the mask. A hypocrite is someone who's pretending to be something they're not. I think if we were honest right across this room, this is a challenge for all of us, whoever we are. We're all in danger of trying to be something, to be someone that we're not. And to be that someone, there are times when we will put on a persona We're all aware, aren't we, of the massive advance and development in cosmetic surgery over recent years. You can adjust, enlarge or shrink almost any part of your body if you want to these days. What is that about? It's in order a lot of the time that we might be accepted, that we might fit in in some way or other. The acceptance that we crave in reality is about a front. It's about show about wearing a mask. Matthew 23, Jesus said, everything they do, those hypocrites, it's for show. They want to be seen. I think we're all potentially in danger of this. So if a Christian claims to be perfect, to be morally superior in any way, they actually are being a fake. But you see, the heart of Jesus it's not a call to perfection, it's a call to be real, to acknowledge, to love God, to love justice, act humbly, and walk uh, to love mercy, act justly and walk humbly with our gods. You don't have to be perfect, Jesus is perfect. In fact, you don't have to pretend to be perfect because the moment you pretend that you've got it all right is the moment hypocrisy begins to come out. 1 John 1 verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive, we con ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mentioned Philip Yancey just now. He wrote a wonderful book called What's So Amazing About Grace. But in that book, he talks about how he realized that Jesus basically came across two different types of people. The sinners who knew that they were sinners and the sinners who denied that they were sinners. And Jesus spoke very differently to those two groups. To the first group, the sinners who knew that they were sinners, he spoke grace. Grace acceptance, compassion, tolerance, and forgiveness. To the second group of people who knew they were sinners but denied it, he called them hypocrites. He confronted and he challenged. You see, the Christian life is not about pretending that we have got it all together. The fact is, we haven't. It's actually the opposite. It's actually, the Christian life is saying, do you know what? I'm in the same boat as you. I'm in the same hospital with the same sin sickness. I'm needing treatment. We're all in recovery. The only difference is that some of us have begun to accept that actually we need the treatment that only Jesus can offer. So if you feel this morning... Like, there's no way I can become a Christian because I can't be perfect. I want to say to you, that's a misunderstanding of what Christianity is all about. Because at the very heart of what Christianity is all about is people who've put their hands up and said, Do you know what? I'm in the same boat. I'm not perfect. There are so many things in my life that are wrong. I'm, but I'm in a process of change. You might say, I I can't become a Christian because I'm just carrying a load of baggage. You don't know uh, some of my history, some of my background. No, and neither do you know mine. We welcome to the club. You do not have to be sorted to come to church. Can you hear that? Christians, can you hear that? There was a day when you were not sorted and you were welcome. So let's not, Christians, I'm just speaking to you right now, let's not say, but that why are they coming to church they're not yet sorted? You do not have to be sorted to come to church. In fact, if the church is really the church of Jesus Christ, if it's displaying the heart of Jesus, it should be full of people who are not sorted. Jesus didn't come for the sorted, for the whole and the perfect. He came for the broken, the hurting and those carrying loads of baggage. I want to say to you, if you feel like God has begun to do a bit of a sorting work, started to heal you, started to help you to get clean, that, hallelujah, that's wonderful. Can I encourage you then to get out there and tell others about what he's done? What's happened to you? Don't just come in and say, isn't it wonderful to be here and keep the chair warm? I want to encourage you, get up and walk across the room, across the street, across the town, across the nations and welcome someone else to hear the amazing message that you also heard when you first met Jesus. Give them your seat. We need to be reminded we are in a process. We live in a town, don't we, where there are constant roadworks. God bless them. And everywhere we go, we uh, see this sign up, work in progress. Now sometimes you go past and there's plenty of signs and cones, but there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of progress going on. But then you go past a, a few weeks or months later, and you go, have you seen the progress? There's a whole new bridge there now, or whatever it might be. I'm not the finished package, I'm a work in progress. And some days you go, there doesn't seem to be much happening in his life. But maybe a few months later you come back and say, wow, look how he's changed. Look how she's grown. Does that make me a fraud? I hope not. It makes me a person who is changing and who wants to change more. By God's grace, I'm not the person I was five years ago or the person I was 10 years ago. Somebody was reminding me after the meeting this morning of something that happened 12 years ago and I just died on the inside. Did I really do that? But uh, we were joking, it's all right. But there are still many things in my life that are not sorted, where I'm not winning. But I will win in those areas. I will conquer them. Why? Because I'm in a process of change. I have changed. And by God's grace, I will go on changing. What would my life be like without Jesus Christ? If I stopped and I rewound my life, where would I be? What would I be like? I thought about this this week and I think to myself, I think I would have been very, very different I think if I'm honest, if we are honest, that could be repeated right across this room. See, the Christian life is not one about perfection. Yes, Jesus is perfect. But it's one about genuine, authentic change and transform, transformation. It's a life that is under new management. An authentic, real Christian is is someone who is putting his hands up and saying, I'm committed to change because I'm following a different leader. A hypocrite is saying one thing and doing another because they don't really care and they don't really want to change. Why is it so important to understand this process of change? Because it's about where the person has come from. Everything is so quick and instant these days. I was telling uh, in, the last, uh, in the last meeting, I was talking about Snapchat as an example, and my family have been trying to teach me to use Snapchat for about two years, and I can't seem to get the hang of it properly, uh, much to their amusement, but um, I do understand that it's about a moment. It's about a moment in time. I think you hold the button down, but that's where I get confused sometimes, but it's about a few seconds, six seconds, sorry kids, ten seconds, and then it's gone. Although Megan said it might not be gone. But anyway, whatever. It's about a moment. And that's how we can so often be with each other. A Snapchat, an instant summary of a person, a situation. We look at a person, we take a, a six-second snap, and we make a judgment. But in that moment, we have no idea of the journey that they've been on. How far have they come? We don't know what they were like last year. You have no idea where they've come from. Ten years ago, if you had met them. See, the issue that you might see in that moment as you point your finger, by the way, three fingers are already pointing straight back at you, it may be tiny compared to where they were last month or last year. And So it's possible for you to look at someone and say, oh, I can't believe in Jesus. I can't believe in Christianity. Look at that person. Just look at them. But I do want to say, there's a transformation that's going on in people's lives. Not just in this church, not just in this town, but it's going on in thousands, in fact, tens of thousands, in fact, millions of people's lives every day right across the world. How? People who are genuinely committing themselves to the process of becoming more like Jesus. One more story uh, from Jesus. Luke chapter 5, this time, verse 27. Jesus went out. He saw the tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because they were, weren't as popular then as they are now. Um, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've not come to call those who are well, but to sinners, those who are sick. I've come to call them to repentance repentance is a life that is being turned around and transformed so what do we see here what we see is the people with the bad rep the bad reputation are suddenly included and the people who are so-called moral religious living upright lives but are hiding behind the mask find themselves out in the cold still the same today For many of us sitting here in this room, we could never imagine that we would be allowed in. We say, if only you knew the junk and the rubbish that is in my life. Even now today, if only you knew the real me. But suddenly, I've been given a free invitation to the party. And not only that, I've been invited up onto the top table. And not only that, I'm invited to sit next to the king. Totally undeserved. You didn't earn it. You had no right to be there. You're a complete and utter mess. But somehow you have been brought in. That, of course, is the heart of the Christian story. It's the great word, grace. The riches of God given to us, utterly undeserved. But the riches, the blessing, the life of God given to us through the death of Jesus Christ. People, we're people who can't quite believe, how did I get here? How was I allowed even in the door into relationship? Jesus has come along and he's invited me to the party and said, by the way, come and sit next to me. But what's the result of that? The result of that is that the church community can be quite messy sometimes. Why is that? Because it's filled with messed up people. Welcome to the club. Perhaps it's no surprise that at times there will be people in church who will say one thing when they don't actually mean it. There will be people in church who act in a way that isn't always consistent with the Christian faith. Because of the very nature of who is coming along. People who know that they make mistakes, but they also know they're on a journey into transformation. Now, I'm aware that what I've just said there can sound like I'm trying to make an excuse or even cover up corruption, bad or abusive behavior. Honestly, I'm not. That is not my heart. There are many, many things that have been done in the name of God and of church that are utterly wrong. But I have to say this. Sometimes there is behavior that you will tolerate in your own life, but you're intolerant of other people i have to sadly illustrate this by another car story if anyone would like to pray for me afterwards they they're, they're very welcome all right but when i'm driving along and i see people on their phones i get cross i get very cross They're putting me in danger, my family in danger, everybody else in danger. And I'm trying to sort of use my face to say, what are you doing on your phone? I might try and signal to them, but maybe sometimes they signal back. So I have to be careful of that. Um, But I'm driving along. I'm really quite cross about what they're doing. And there I'm driving along. And then a, a text message comes on my phone, which is on the seat next to me. And I think, oh, I'll just have a quick look at that. see, I tolerate behavior in myself that I don't tolerate in others. Tailgating is another one. Sorry, this is confession morning, isn't it? <laughs> All right, 50 miles an hour is the, is the biggie, isn't it? Well, it's for me anyway. So it says 50, so I'm driving at 50. I'm, I'm right up there, okay, but I'm not going over it. I'm on 50, and there's this person sat right on my tail. Right there behind me, pushing me. You know, because it's a big open wide road. But it says 50, so I'm going to go 50. In fact, now I'm going to go 48, all right? Just to, I'm trying to, I'm going to dab on the brake more than extra. Um, I even put the rear windscreen wiper on just to send some signal. And sometimes I can see in my mirror, I'm getting some signals coming back again the other way. And then another day, I'm going down the same road. It's 50. We all know it's 50. Okay, it's a real challenge. And I come up. Somebody's doing 35, maybe 40. Oh, I'm right up behind them. I'm doing the left thing. I'm doing the right thing. And you can see me in your mirrors, can't you? Okay. And then their windscreen wiper starts to go. And I... I tolerate behavior in myself that I don't tolerate in others. See, Jesus said that actually it should be the other way round. You should be intolerant with yourself, ruthless with it. In fact, he says, put it to death. Cut it off. I mean, he really is quite blunt, just as he was with those Pharisees. You should up the game in yourself, he says, but you should be intolerant towards others. But somehow the church has turned it upside down. Well, I'm not perfect, but what do you think you're coming in here? No, it's not like that. It's the wrong way around. I should be getting more intolerant with myself. See, Jesus actually raised the bar. He didn't lower it. He said, you know it says in the Old Testament you shouldn't murder. Well, actually, I'm raising the bar. I'm saying to you, don't even get angry with people. You know it says in the Old Testament, do not commit adultery. But I don't even want you to look inappropriately at that girl as she walks down the street because it's as though you're already committing adultery with her in your heart. Jesus raised the bar. He didn't lower it. But at the same time, he did not project onto us or impose on us a perfectionism that he knew we could not attain. What he was looking for was a reality. For us to be real, to recognize who we are. He raised the standards But he called us to a journey to walk with him in life. See, Jesus has this reputation, doesn't he, of loving sinners. But sadly, the church often has twisted that and we tend to love the righteous. We love those who get it right. And we tend, if we're not careful, to discard and push away the sinners. Jesus had a bad reputation He was so welcoming to sinners. If only we had a reputation that was half as bad as that. That was so overly welcoming that anyone could come along and say, Do you know what? The welcome I received, the love that I was shown in that church, just makes me want to go back. What did the friend of sinners mean? Doesn't mean he loved a good party and getting drunk doesn't mean he only took sides with the non-religious doesn't mean that he turned a blind eye so if we had time to look at the stories of Jesus we would see time and time again he loved he welcomed he embraced but he also corrected he also challenged he challenged people to change the way that they behaved the way they lived their lives why? Because it's not the way you were created to be, he would have said. It's not how your father made you. But he did it in such a way that people were welcomed, they were accepted. There was something of grace and mercy. There was a message of forgiveness that helped them to come to a journey of being changed. How did people react when they were confronted? And some really were. Well, of course, some just profoundly affected and utterly changed their lives. We could read many stories. Somebody in the prayer meeting this morning spoke about Zacchaeus, another tax collector, radically changed. Others crucified him for it. Of course, it was the the chief supporters of that death were the very people he confronted because of their hypocrisy. Jesus hated it. It's tragic that the church is still associated with that today what do we do with this how do we respond to this well can i invite you to stand i'm just going to last couple of moments going to lead us in prayer just want to invite you to be open to just reflect on what you've heard and let's come to god if you're not a believer in prayer just want to invite you just to stand be at peace just think about these things if you are A believer, I just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What would God say to us this morning? I believe this is the message that would come. Have you known forgiveness? Have you been forgiven? Then you also should forgive. Have you experienced the kindness of God? Then be one who shows kindness. Have you understood that you were accepted just as you were? That you came just as you were? That you were accepted? Then be one who shows acceptance. If you know that you've not been judged, then show that you don't judge. Some of you, this morning, this afternoon, you carry heartache, And you carry pain. It's still real. You've been pushed away. You've been rejected. You're on the verge of saying, I've had it. I'm not sure about church. And because of that, I'm just not sure about Jesus anymore. You're giving up on church. And you're giving up on Jesus. I want to say to you with as much heart and love as I can. Please don't. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't turn away from the greatest person who ever lived. Don't turn away from your Creator. I acknowledge that there are many who represent Him who've messed up. But I want to say to you that He loves them as well. He's speaking to them and challenging them and provoking them about their lives as well. Don't reject Jesus. I want to say to those of us who are challenged and provoked this morning. I want to remind you God is one of love and compassion and mercy and grace. Yes, he will challenge you. Yes, he will come with provocation. But he comes with love. He comes to forgive. He comes to bless. I just want to invite any of us and I hold my own hands out as a sign of where I'm at myself even as I speak these words, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for the hypocrisy in my life. Lord, where I hold people to a higher standard than I'm not prepared to hold myself. Father, I ask your forgiveness for where I tolerate things in my life that I'm not prepared to tolerate in others. I ask you again for a fresh revelation and understanding of your grace, and your mercy, that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. I thank you for the welcome that you give to me. I thank you for the acceptance that you give to me. Lord, would you come and flood me today with your life, that I might be a life giver, that I might be one who reaches out with love and compassion to those around me in my neighborhood, the workplaces, wherever. I am placed. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that I rest under your mercy. I thank you that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. Lord, I pray today for us as a church, as your people, that we might display Christ. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that that forgiveness brings peace and it brings joy, and it brings freedom. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.